Welcome to the Recruiter Abroad podcast. My name is Dulta Daherty and in this podcast series, I will be bringing you the stories of expat recruiters who have emigrated all around the world. This week, I'm speaking to Rory Maddox. He's based in LA with GQR Global. Um, Rory heads up their energy and engineering practice there. And we had a great chat. He first moved abroad to play rugby in Australia. Um, and then after university, he moved to Singapore to work in financial services, which ultimately led him to bumping into a few recruiters and he became an oil and gas recruiter over there. Um, he did that for a few years and then sidestepped into renewable energies with GQR. So went straight over to LA and helped uh, help drive their growth there. They're one of the fastest growing uh, UK recruitment companies in the US. And, and he describes his journey with them and beforehand as well. And, you know, his life sounds pretty good, to be honest. They, uh, they were based in uh, Santa Monica for a while and are now on uh, Marina del Rey, I think he said. Um, and I'm speaking to him a day after Independence Day and uh, where he was hanging out poolside with a bunch of friends, enjoying the sunshine that is L.A. Um, sounds, like a, sounds like a great opportunity to, to get out to L.A. And we're seeing more and more companies open up. Uh, in this, we kind of discuss on the kind of money that you can make out there, uh, what your lifestyle would be like. And he gives a great insight into what it takes to get a visa in the USA. And... And yeah, really good guest, and I'd love to thank him for coming on the show. Hope you all enjoy. And as ever, reach out to me on LinkedIn if you're enjoying the show, and if you, if you think I I have missed out on anything, like just hit me up and uh, and uh, let me know, and I'll, I'll find the right person to interview, and, and we'll get them on the show. And if you have reached out recently and told me that you're loving the podcast, which is great, it uh, it really makes my day. Over to Rory. Hi. Hi. Hi, Rory. How are you? Yeah, very well, mate. How are you? Not too bad. So you guys had uh, Fourth of July there yesterday. What did you get up to? Yeah, yeah, it was good fun actually. A friend of mine's got a uh, a pool and stuff, so it was a barbecue by the pool. Fairly, fairly casual, fairly tame, but uh, you know, a few American pastimes like beer pong and flip cup and that kind of stuff. Um, but it was good. Feeling, feeling, feeling it a little bit today, but it's all right. And you're in the office. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, we probably got we probably we got quite a depleted uh, workforce today after a few people took it off. But um, yeah, we're we're working through it today. All right, good man. Okay, so uh, welcome to the Recruiter Abroad podcast. Really happy to have you on here. Um, the way we normally started is I, I, I ask people to kind of give a bit of a rundown into their background and what led them into recruitment. Uh, how do we look at your LinkedIn account there? And you had a pretty good uh, academic background before you got into uh, our industry were you trying to become a politician when you were younger or what was i was uh, um, i was trying to become a like a wartime correspondent that was my that was my dream as a kid to be kind of like there with a flat jacket on being like live from baghdad um yeah. 
So I, so I did that, yeah, I did a master's in politics, but um, joined Sky News for a short while, but it wasn't really for me. It was kind of a, quite, quite a long haul, a lot of kind of tea making and that kind of stuff, not as glamorous as I thought it'd be. Um, so quit that fairly early on. Um, and, then, and then went in the city, became a, a money broker. Uh, just, just got tired of being in London. I, was, I had this office that kind of overlooked a skip outside TK Maxx. Um, and I got, I got a call one day from, from a friend of mine, probably about 8 a.m. It's still pitch black outside saying, would you come and play, play rugby for our team in Singapore? Uh, we'll get you a job. There's a guy who owns a finance company. Um, so that, that afternoon, really, I was booking flights and I was off to Singapore playing for a team out there called the Bucks um, and working for a company called Boston Management, which was basically selling a trading platform. So I was a kind of traveling sales person, I guess, for them. Um, and that was great, obviously, all around Southeast Asia, uh, a lot of clients in like Thailand and Indonesia and cool places like that. Um, what was it like playing it, rugby out there? It was all right. It was very social. It was very, um, it was very beers the night before, but um, it was good. It's, if, if you've ever been to Singapore, it's, it's a great community out there anyway. Um. And uh, Ruri, I, I haven't actually been to Singapore. How, how did you find living there? I love it. You know, I mean, in terms of, in terms of a gateway to travel across the rest of Asia, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, I think a lot of people think that it's kind of like a bit sort of like clean and sterile, but actually there's a great kind of vibrant party culture there. There's a couple of main areas so there's along the river that comes in there's boat key and then further down um god i've forgotten the name of it uh boat key and clark key which yeah which are really good like lines with bars and there's unbelievable um there's a huge expat culture as well so that that makes it really easy and fun uh the weather's a bit much it's like stiflingly hot um but it's good. It's 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 really fun place to go for a few years. For sure. um, and it. would you have done like long weekends in Malaysia and the Philippines and and, and local countries? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, a good thing about Southeast Asia is it's so cheap to travel, um, and particularly when you're living in Singapore, where it's it's like crazy expensive. You're almost saving money by going to going to Thailand for the weekend. Yeah. Um, so yeah, hundred percent. Like you know, we'd go at least once, probably twice, most months, just a way to, as you say, up just across the border to Malaysia or Bali or Thailand or somewhere like that. Right. And, and what led you into recruitment? You know what? Um, as soon as as soon as I decided that I wasn't going to be like a journalist kind of thing, um, I, I I got into broking, which is is kind of very salesy type job anyway. Um, and then I did that, did that trading platform job in Asia. So I kind of got a success, got a bit of success at, at sales and being client focused and that kind of stuff. Um, so it, it just kind of fell on, fell on my lap, really. As I say, a friend of mine had, had an opening in his team. He was like, look, I think you'd be really good at this. This is what we're doing. This is how much we're making. Um, and I, and I went in and had some initial success and then, like a lot of things, I suppose you're, you're kind of stuck in it for the foreseeable. Yeah, and you did that for three years, and it finished in uh, January 2015. That was when the oil price crashed, wasn't it? Yeah, so exactly. I actually I came to GQR initially to to start there. What was then going to be the Houston office? So really having a big push on the oil and gas side of the business. But when we came over here. 
Um, yeah, as you say, the oil price had, had kind of tanked out. Yeah. Obviously, it's a very bro- broken market in the US anyway. So you had all these other companies with existing relationships. And it just seemed like a really bad time to be launching an oil and gas business in the US, right? Yeah. Which is why we, um, we kind of made a, a small tack and we decided we were going to focus more on renewable energy yeah. and TMD, so the grid stuff. Um, so let me, that's what let, we- let me jump. Let, so, so you're in hydrogen. And, and and you did that for a period of time. How did did you move from straight from Singapore to America? And how, how did that process and that thing? How did that come about for you? Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, I, basically I did. I mean, there's there's some logistics that were involved of a couple of months where I was back in London. But yeah, I, I got the offer to join GQR whilst I was in Singapore. Um, really, very simple to be honest. Um, I kind of looked at the map and was like, right, I don't want to go back to London. Where can I go to? Um, I only speak English. So that kind of ruled out, you know, 75% of the world immediately. Um, and then it was, I lived in Australia before. I, I moved to Australia and I did a season. I used to play rugby pretty seriously. So I was, I was down there. And, and though I liked Australia, I didn't really want to, didn't really want to go, go back. Um, so then it was between really kind of, I suppose, Dubai, Canada or the US. I felt like Dubai and Singapore had... A lot of similarities and I wanted to try a kind of different way of life I suppose for a bit and then I kind of focused in I think thinking the US was probably a big, bigger and better market than Canada so then it was the US and I got offers in LA and I got offers in New York um, and I went for LA I just thought it would be a bit of a different vibe to be honest you know coming from London and being in Singapore and those kind of built up cities I wanted somewhere with a bit more bit more nature about it, a bit more natural beauty, um, obviously the weather as well. Um, so that's how I did it. But the, the, the process itself really was going through, um, going through my LinkedIn emails really and seeing, seeing what recruitment companies had reached out to me. And there was an internal recruiter from GQR who'd reached out previously. And I just, I just kind of fired, fired an email back and said, look, interested in kind of discussing this and, and seeing what you guys have. And what was the, what was the early days like? It, like, cause you've been there three and a half years now. What, what, what was, what was it? Were you one of the first people on the ground in that office place? How did, how did, yeah. how did that come about? Yeah, no, not, not really in the office place. When I, when I was here, there's probably about 15 people already. Um, but one of the first people or, or the first, one of the first people still here, but like one of the first two, three that were in energy. So when we came out, it was obviously to, to kind of build that space out. And weirdly, because GQR is, very niche in the way that it works right we're very specialist but the energy team had been going for about a year but unsuccessfully because it was very generalist mm. um so we kind of came and we had to we had to sort that out straight away and we had to define what our markets were but it was it was challenging for sure like having no subject matter experts in the business um having to go from doing oil and gas in the southeast asian market to renewable energy across the americas um there was, there was a steep learning curve. And at the same time, we introduced contracts to the business. So previously, it had all been direct hire perm stuff. Mm. Um, so you're going to get teething problems when you do that as well. But, um, but it was kind of exciting. It felt like a, like a startup within GQR. And we, we were really lucky to bring on some, some really get great recruiters to work with us from, from the UK, but also from here in the States. Um, and so how, how did... The, how did maybe you've kind of touched upon a difference in, in the way that you approach the, the marketplace 
rather than maybe what hydrogen or or the more established oil and gas recruitment firms do when you say niche can can you kind of elaborate on that and what that means yeah for sure so i mean we we don't we don't look to kind of offer like a full range of recruitment services to our clients so we're not like okay we'll place everyone from your your project admins to your director of engineering to your m a analysts mm. um we want to work it like we define it as and we're not unique in this sense but we we define it as kind of like vertical niches so we say to people okay really focus in and master a specific area of that business when you think about gqr like GQR actually stands for Global Quant Recruitment. So its history is being um, very niche within the banking sector, really the people that um, do the data analytics for quant trading. That's how it started, right? So even the name denotes that it's very, very niche. Um, And that's what we look to do. We've got 25 people now working across renewable energy. So that, I mean, that's quite... That, that's quite a lot of people. I don't know of any other recruitment companies probably that are focused that much in on that sector. How do you um, divide all that up between 25 people? Is that done by disciplines or geographic or, or, yeah, or, or roles? Well, it's or... Yeah, it's, it's, done, it's definitely done by discipline. And that's, and that's part of it when I say that we want to be, um, we want to be like subject matter experts in our space. So um, it's divided first into three divisions. So solar, wind and T&D. So T&D is like grid stuff and substations and that kind of stuff. Um, and then within that, though, you've got, you know, development or EPC. And that's loosely kind of, I mean, I feel like I'm giving a, a blueprint of how to, that, that, yeah. how to be a competitor here. But, um, but, you know, that's loosely kind of like the guys that yeah, actually build the thing and then the guys that finance and do the early stage engineering. But then, you, again, you go deeper into that and you, you have people really owning very specific areas within that market. How how does that look for, look to when when you bring a recruiter on board? When somebody like if somebody's listening to this and they're in the UK, they're in Manchester, and they're mm. thinking, "Oh God, the winter's going to come, and I'm, I'm I'm not earning yeah. a lot of money, and all the rest." How does that person transition into your business to become super niche? Like, what do you how do you how do you teach them to go from maybe being like working for maybe a Brunel or one of the one of the more generalist oil and gas agencies to how you guys operate? Yeah, for sure. Well, well, for starters, actually, the transition's a lot easier because you don't have to master as many different fields. Well, you, you'd never really be able to master them, but you don't have to pretend to be able to master as many different fields. <laughs> yeah. um, what we do is we put you through our training program anyway, um, just to make sure that you're kind of familiar with our more senior level of headhunting, and, um, or if you're going to be a contract recruiter, to, to be sure that you're familiar with our contract processes. Um, and then we have kind of what we call knowledge hours. They're kind of like at the, at the end of every day for, depending on how experienced you are, for a period of six to 27 weeks, um, we discuss the market and we, we teach people the technicalities of their space. Um, so it, it's, it's really a case of just being like on top of journals, attending conferences, um, speaking obviously to candidates and clients as much as possible. And because you're, you're focusing in on a space, every call that you have is relevant and you're learning from every call. So it, it doesn't take too long for people to be at um, a really high level of understanding of the space they recruit into. Mm. Um, and then I've always found it's a bit like a, it's a bit like picking up a rock. Do you know what I mean? Like you kind of, you look at it from the outside and you go, well, if I was able to recruit into a broader space, um, 
I'd have a lot more vacancies. But actually, I found it's always the reverse. Like, if you really focus in on a space, you see actually how much different work there is there. Um, and we don't bind people by geography at all. So we don't do a huge amount of international work from the US offices, but we're open to that. We certainly don't divide it up into territories. Um, so there's, there's a huge scope, really, for... Yeah, and you've, you've had two really good stints uh, in, in recruitment. So you've you fast-tracked both, both really well. Uh, what would you say, like, makes a really good recruiter? Like, what, what, what are the characteristics that whenever, you, whenever you're interviewing somebody, whenever you're speaking to a recruiter, or what, what, what would you say, maybe some of the people you've worked with, what, what, what things would you identify and go, wow, you're going to be good at this or you are good at this? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I always think that like being good at recruitment is you, you, you could, there's a, a number of different ways to skin a cat. So like I, I view what we do as being on this like spectrum between kind of like research and analysis at one end and on the other end, business development and people kind of fall anywhere along that, that line. Uh, I, I know from my, my personal experience that I've had recruits work for me that are very, very analytical and not particularly salesy that have been amazing because they've really doubled down on what they're good at and mastered that um, and vice versa as well. So I think the thing that always has to be constant is you, you have to be open to learning because what we do is a constant process of taking in information and reacting. Um, so that, that's everything from learning the new market that you're taught and the new processes and what your clients want for vacancies, but also just constantly adapting and learning from what your clients and candidates are telling you. Mm. Um, you have to be organized because too many people, they, they don't put things in the system properly or they don't structure their business properly and then it bites them in the ass on the back end. Um, and you have to be driven. And it doesn't necessarily mean money. It can be prestige or competition or you know anything else. But you, you really have to be driven to get up every day and, and do a good job. Yeah. And so talk to me about, talk to me about life in LA. What... What, what what was it like moving there? Like, is it like you you guys are based in Santa Monica? Is that correct? We were actually, so we were based in Santa Monica for about four years. Okay. Um, we moved to Marina del Rey, which is two miles down the beach. Ah, basically, that, that, that uh, just sounds awful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, closer to the beach, and we weren't far from the beach before actually. But um, so yeah, it's cool. We 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 moved we moved basically because we moved into a way bigger office, and our office here used to be where they made. Um, like GT Shelby Cobras, which is like this old school kind of car. So it's like this big hangar space. It's kind of like industrial chic. It's, okay. uh, it's really cool, actually. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. Around us is, if anyone knows LA, it's, we're right off Abikini, which is like one of the coolest streets in Venice. Um, but life in LA, I suppose, is it's a little bit different to life in like a London or a New York. Um, obviously, the weather's good all the time it's a lot more focused on kind of like as you'd imagine stuff like healthy eating and hiking and go skiing there's there's slopes like an hour from us obviously surfing's a huge thing here um but but in general the lifestyle like particularly life at gqr like we're, we're filled with loads of expats between the ages of like 24 and 32 um and everybody kind of comes over here one to work hard but probably as much to to really have a good time and enjoy life over here um so there's a lot of yeah there's a lot going out to bars and great restaurant great food it's you know it's a cosmopolitan city like you would imagine with with any of the big cities um and yeah it's uh, what i would say is short version it's probably all of the stereotypes good and bad yeah and 
is it hard to be successful in 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 that market right now? Is it, you know, I mean, I think some people can have a bit of a a fairy tale viewpoint on what like the market's amazing, the lifestyle is amazing, and if anybody could go over and just become really successful, it, there must be a few pitfalls that people have to kind of watch out for. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think definitely, um, I think it's definitely an I don't want to say easier market, but probably an easier market than, than London or, or even Australia. Um, Singapore was a very, very good easy market as well, to be honest. But um, in and, terms of, in and terms by, of, by an easy market, you mean like there's lots of jobs there and candidates are quite recept- receptive to taking a call or is it vice versa? No, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, for starters, America in general has a different view of salespeople. Right. So what you don't get when you're doing business in America is the like not interested slamming down the phone. Right. Yeah. Because because of the whole, whole idea about the American dream, everybody wants to win. Mm-hmm. Right. So, OK, this guy's pitched me a new idea. This might be my way to win. Right. So everybody gives you that 30 seconds. If you've got a British accent, I'll probably give you 90 seconds. Um, so that's kind of good. It's kind of easy. And there's a lot more respect for salespeople. Um, just part of that whole kind of their hustle culture, yeah, exactly. So, um, but the reason I'd say it's easier is because it's less broke, there's less recruiters, particularly doing what we're doing, doing like actually vertical niche subject matter experts, you know, the kind of stuff that, that we do and the fade ins and the hydrogen do. Um, there's not as many competitors in the market that do that. Um, and then the, the market opportunity is huge, particularly in energy. I mean, it's it's really booming. Like renewable energy, it's growth's unbelievable right across the board. Um, so being part of the market, which is just so job heavy, um, really does make it does make it quite easy. I, you know, we have a lot of people that come over from Oz, and they're like they're like three hundred k billers in Oz, you know, and they they add one hundred and fifty two hundred k on. And mm. in part, I'd like to think that's because of the great work that we do. But um, as much as anything, I think it's just a I think it's just a more, yeah, easier, you know, it's a more, there's more opportunity in the market out here probably in a lot of places. Yeah, no, it, 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 it sounds pretty good. Um, and how, how hard is it for somebody to get a visa over there now? Because there, there's a lot of misinformation on, on what it takes to, for somebody in the UK to get over there. Are you able to kind of comment on that a little, Tom? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we, I mean, obviously, we're dealing with visas all the time. Um, it depends what kind of visa you're going for, right? So if you're, if you're a British person and you're looking to come to the US, um, your best bet is to go with a British company. Um, and that's because the, the setup that they have. So a, a British company will more than likely, depending on how big it is, uh, will more than likely go for an investor treaty visa, right? So they will become an E1. When they become an E1, they can issue E2 visas. It's what I'm on. It's what all our British people are on. It's what all British recruitment companies will put their people on. Um, now, the, the tough thing is getting the E1 status. When you get that, as long as you fill certain criteria, then it's actually pretty easy to get people visas. Um, it's not like a lot of US visas, which have a lottery system. So the most common one for foreign nationals working is an H-1B. And so what happens with H-1B is everybody applies and then they run a lottery and 30% of people are awarded it, hmm. right? Um, so with an E-2, as long as you tick all the boxes, you, you will get it. And 
and what, what do, do you need a degree? Do you need like lots of experience, or is what, yeah, what? you don't. You, yeah, you don't. You don't need a degree um, as long as you do have a lot of experience. It's, it's it's one or the other. If you have a degree, you can get away with less experience. Mm. Um, There's no hard but, yeah. set rule there, isn't there? It, it, it's it's it's, not, it's flexible. Yeah, it's really it's really as well how how the company you're coming on view you, what they're willing to do with you, right? If they yeah. see you as a manager, uh, and by that I don't mean you know a divisional head, but if they see you as someone capable of managing and developing other staff whilst billing yourself, um, so that kind of like senior consultant type role and above, um, you know they can work with you to to get you a visa. I don't think. I mean, I, I'm, I don't know the exact numbers, but I'm sure we're up to 100, if not more, E2 visas issued to British people in the US. Um, and I don't know of anyone we've had rejected. But wow. obviously, we're looking for, we're looking for people that are, um, that, are, that are kind of senior consultant and above with that. Maybe other companies are getting people rejected, but that's probably because they're trying to bring over, you know, 21, 22-year-olds. Um, I think it's also because, like, you guys are well-established and you're hiring lots of Americans as well. And I think a lot of people, especially companies in New York, they'll put a few people on the ground and then they'll try three E2 visas and then one of them will get rejected. So wow. there's so much misinformation in the market. I just wanted somebody senior to kind of give a different voice yeah. to that, you know, so. Sure. I mean, I, in, in Singapore, they, they, kind of, they kind of print visas. I remember, yeah. you know, it was just like so easy. Um, in Australia now, I hear it's very difficult. Like with, with the US, I would describe it as as long as you've got the company really on side and they know what they're doing, as you kind of touched upon there, um, they, can, they can get you out there. Realistically, if somebody becomes successful and they're in the top 20 percentile in your room or even the top 15, what, what potential OTE could they be making? So the top 20 percent. Um, certainly, if they're in the top 20 percent in our, on, our, on our sales floor in L.A., um, you you want to be in excess of quarter of a million, um, you know. So I would I would say that I would say that like a high performing VP here should be earning three hundred k plus. Um, you know we do, we do a total comp structure. I don't know if I don't know if you you probably know that it's probably not worth getting into now. But um, but yeah, for sure. Like it, we want we want people here that are very successful. Like we're not looking to pad the room with people earning 100k like we want to keep that elite status that hopefully our kind of brand notes and part of that is having very very capable people earning earning a lot of money and and when you're when you're interviewing people uh, outside of the, the the billings that you look for and I'm, I'm sure you look for quite high billings and it's, it's a certain characteristics that that, that jumps out at you whenever whenever you're interviewing somebody is it like their competitiveness or their analytic mind or is like how, how does that work with you whenever you whenever you're interviewing yeah i mean i think i think again it's, it's we don't look for one archetypal recruiter um because there is a broad spectrum of what we look for but we want people that have the capability to be client facing for sure we don't we don't we don't bring in people just to just to recruit. We want people that are able to do both sides of the deal cycle. Um, and part of that is people, obviously, that can represent what we're about. Um, and that is high-level specialist recruitment. Um, so we need people that are very bright. We need people that are presentable. Um, and, and we need people that, that you know, have some sort of 
charm about them and can carry themselves well and can represent our brand in the market because we go out a lot to, to the market. You know, we speak at conferences, um, we hold networking events, you know, so, um, so that we're, we're, we're not quite like a entirely a suit and tie organization, but we want to be like, you know, the kind of, the kind of people that, um, that, that always seem professional, you know, that's, that's, yeah. that's a key factor for us. Do you bump into other recruitment agencies from the UK in your in your social scene out there at all? Yeah, one of my one of my best mates runs an office out here. Actually, I won't I won't, I won't give him a plug there. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but yeah, and then we we've got a soccer team here. We're like we're like a seven aside, and we we pair up. It's like GQR and again another another company um, that we uh, <laughs> that, that we pair up with. So yeah, look, I mean. You know, you guys will know listen to this, and obviously, you know, it's sort of like like-minded people, right? You know, yeah. youngish people in similar sort of profile, all British. So, yeah, we're we're gonna get on. Yeah, I, I mean, I used to play on a, when I worked for Robert Walters in Perth. I played on a seven-a-side team with uh, guys from Robert Half and PSG and, and a few other a few other like local local firms as well. It's just it's just the way it uh, just the way it goes. People people change companies and and all the rest, and then. I suppose there's a is is there is there a bit of a bar scene where there be a lot of recruiters drinking in the same area at the same time of uh, on a Friday as well in LA or is, yeah is there... well there's a yeah there's a couple of there's a couple of famous ones most most of the um, most of the recruitment companies seem to be on what we call the West Side okay. which is like the beach town so like your Santa Monica's your Venice's Marina del Rey that area Malibu less less so for for recruitment companies but but. So there's a few bars that are particularly big there. Um, bungalow. If, if anyone's been on holiday in LA, they're probably ending up at the bungalow at some stage. It's a uh, indoor outdoor bar in, in Santa Monica that's really good. Uh, the Brig in Venice, the Whaler in Venice. These are a couple of bars on the beach. So yeah, you'll definitely you'll be there with um, you'll be there with your guys, and then yeah, you'll see yeah you'll see the the, the other mobs walk in. But um, but yeah, it's good. I mean, it's a good cross section of. Uh, of the recruitment companies that are kind of now out on the West Coast, actually. Yeah, and, and you guys were one of the one, one of the earlier adopters. It seems like every week somebody else is launching in LA. Do you do you see that the increase of Brits over there? Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, I actually, I, I personally think it's it's good. I like a I like a bigger talent pool of um, sure British do. people out to take from because sure um, before it was just it was just us as like the lone vanguard out here, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, look. I, I honestly don't get why everyone's not out here. I, I think it's, I think it's great personally. I think a lot of people think, you know, they think, okay, well, I'm working in London. I'm really serious about my job. Um, I don't want to go to LA for the lifestyle. You know, I want to go to New York and build big numbers and be really serious. But like, you can do both, um, and I think that's what people are finding. Like, you can come here, work really hard, do something with your career, earn good money, and also go hiking at the weekend and take up surfing in the mornings. And you know, it's um, I think people are waking up to the fact that they can open their businesses here and still be really successful because we have done it, basically. Yeah, and, and, and look, I think just given the time difference, New York's an easier first call for people so that they can, uh, they can put a hub in London and then work it remotely and then, and then get a serviced office and all the rest. Whereas I think like LA seems to be the next stop after that. So it's, uh, I, I can only see it increasing because we've seen it... Uh, like our, our our client portfolio has tripled in the states in the last last couple of years. You know, it's just it's it seems like everybody's having a crack at it now. You know, the secret's out. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's just such such a booming market. Like we, you know, we we always hear from everybody that comes over there. Just like it's, they just find it so quick to get to, to get up and billing. They find it so easy to to get clients on board and all this kind of stuff. And um, as a salesperson, you know, as much as you want to focus on the things that internally that you can affect, you also want to put yourself in the best position to make money. And so much of that is is shot selection. It's okay. What's the best market? What's the best opportunity? And, and coming to somewhere like when oil and gas was booming, Singapore was was certainly one of those. But right now, in renewable energy or TND or civil or any of the teams that we have, they're they're, they're growing so quickly with the infrastructure of the states that it's just such a great. Pos- place to position yourself um so yeah that's that's our hope really that, that we get more good people out here to do that well i'm uh, i'm i'm really jealous I'm, you know I'm, I'm obviously in the uk for another couple of years doing the baby thing but uh california is absolutely on our radar to yeah. to, to to get out there um last question rory and appreciate your time and obviously uh fourth of july yesterday and that so uh Thanks for yeah. thanks for turning up. <laughs> no, no worries. Uh, what what do you got going on at the moment? How can people reach out to you? And like, who are you looking to speak to? Who who who's who's the person that you want to hear from to come join GQR from the UK or Australia? Um, I mean, to be honest, we want we want a broad cross-section of people to, to, to apply to us. You know, we're, we, I, for a while, I think we were like a lot of recruitment companies. We were like 22 to 32, very similar profiles, you know, um, and, and kind of saw some success with that and just kind of building it. But now we're in the phase of our business where we want to be, uh, we want to be more to our clients. We're, we're introducing marketing services, people intelligent, branding services, um, data analytics, all these things. So we're really, we're really kind of broadening our services whilst not becoming a generous recruiter. Um, so we want to, we want to hear from people that have been in the industry a long time. We want to people hear from people that maybe only have two, two to three years experience market experience for me personally is not that important. I think we do a really good job of teaching people markets. So some success in recruitment is great, particularly if you're an expat and we've got to get you a visa. That's, that's kind of key. Um, but people that want to come out here and, and still do something, you know, still earn a lot of money or build a big team or help us with our growth because we've got huge plans. I mean, we're, we're 60 people in the LA office right now. It, it holds 250 people. Um, so we want basically people that are really, really hungry and ambitious and, and open to an adventure. All right. Rory Maddox, thank, thank you so much. Cool. Thanks, Dilton. Talk to you again. Yeah. Well, a massive thank you to Rory for coming on the show and sharing his experiences. Um, Some of my takeaways from that interview. Um, You don't need a degree to get to America. And there's a lot of Rector X out there that are telling you that they do. That's because they're working a job for a certain client or a couple of clients who have made it part of their requirements to have a degree because they're afraid of losing their visa sponsorship. No, it is not a mandatory thing. So that's really important to stress that. If you want more information on that, I'm happy to go into detail. But I think uh, Rory gives a great explanation on it. Another thing I would say is I really like the way they work 
with no geographical limitations. So they're really super niche in how they work. They charge high fees. They're making lots of money. And it's in a very candidate-driven space. So, you know, the market sounds great. His lifestyle sounds great. I'm a bit jealous, to be honest. And, you know, the, the place sounds amazing. There's more and more UK recruitment companies setting up there every week. And we're doing lots of business there. Mostly, outside of these guys, mostly people are looking for tech recruiters. But I would say next year, you know, all the pharma people will be there. All the financial services will be there as well. So if you want to chat about opportunities and you want to get out to LA, you know, just hit me up on LinkedIn. And we, we work with most of the UK suppliers out there. And and yeah, the, now's the time, you know, before before visas get tighter, before the market gets saturated. And, uh, and you'll not regret it. All right. Thanks, guys. Best of luck to England tomorrow in the quarterfinal.